1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions. And this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria.
0: Hi, this is Lily, and today we will be featuring part two of Dr. Marnie Hazelton's interview. As the daughter of two civil rights pioneers who were the first college graduates of their respective families, her mother and father set the bar high for Marnie at birth. Marnie's parents did not push their oldest child in any particular direction. However, they always made the expectation of obtaining a college degree very clear to her. After moving from Southern California to New York, Marnie set her sights on a music career and then eventually a stint on an internet radio show. She literally fell into teaching as a way to pacify her father. And when she developed a passion for teaching and was accepted into the first cohort of the New York City Teaching Fellows in 2000, no one was prouder than her parents. Marnie quickly connected with her students due to her work in the music industry and her adventures in Europe working in music promotion. Marnie has a knack for bringing her international experience into the classroom and her students thrived. Marnie is an ardent advocate for project-based learning, which has been a part of her educational philosophy during her tenure as teacher, director of grants, coordinator for elementary education, assistant superintendent, and superintendent of schools. Just when I think about seize the day and what that means to you, you have a lot of responsibility. Yes. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for that?
1: What I should do is get up early and exercise. <laughs> and, you know, as we get older, we know what we should do. And then what we actually do, sometimes it conflicts. I start every day by reading. I'm an avid reader. I have the hard copy of the New York Times delivered. I go online, I read the local newspaper, which is Newsday. Since I've become superintendent, the first thing I look for is to make sure that my district is not in the news. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll get a heads up if an article is going to be published about an incident, good or bad or indifferent, and sometimes we are completely blindsided. Mm -hmm. And I've had that happen a few times. So that's the first thing I do, make sure that Everything's good with the community. In Roosevelt, not only the school district, but the community, making sure that I don't have any of my students or their family members in the paper for something negative. Or even if it's positive, if I do find something positive, I send out an email blast Mm -hmm. congratulating them. So that's the first thing I do. I have an 11-year-old son, so my morning is mommy duty. Mm hmm And I am going to get back to exercising because I know and I feel that when I work out in the morning, I come to work with a clearer head Mm -hmm. and uh, less stress during the day.
0: Right. And the challenge then becomes, okay, so I have to get up extra early, but I need to get to bed early as well so that I can have the energy to do that.
1: And you know what? I do get up pretty early, but I spend a lot of time online reading. And also I start my day with, I love Lucy. I'm an avid I Love Lucy fan.
0: (laughs) She was a smart comedian.
1: While I'm reading, I'm watching I Love Lucy every morning.
0: And we need that laughter as well. So, now, Marnie, what type of leader are you inspired by and why?
1: It's funny. I'm attracted to leaders that really challenge me to think and sort of intimidate me and can call me on the carpet, someone with a proven track record. When I became superintendent, I joined the Nassau County Council of Superintendents, and we meet twice a month as an entire group, and then the second meeting is a smaller group of our local area superintendents. So Nassau County is large, but it's small, with 56 school districts in Nassau County and 56 superintendents, but there are some legendary superintendents. So when I attended my first meeting, I felt like I was next to some of the educational rock stars, like your Bill Johnsons from Rockville Center and Lorna Lewis from Bethpage. Who
0: have been on the podcast. Oh, have they? Yes.
1: And so people I've read about and I followed... Uh, some of the interesting things that they are doing in their district. So those type of people that I just mentioned, very focused, no nonsense. But when you meet them in person, very open. Bill Johnson and Lorna Lewis were the first to invite me to lunch and sit me down and said to me, how can we help you be a success? How can we ensure that you remain in Roosevelt? And at that time, I was appointed as the interim. Mm -hmm. So they were very very generous and approachable Although I had always viewed them from afar Mm -hmm. I had never really any desire to be superintendent I kept abreast of what was going on And who the key players are in the field Mm -hmm. So those strong personalities attract me Caring as well I always seem to find and gravitate toward people Who have the exterior is rough and gruff But when you sit down with them and peel back the layers of the onion, they're very approachable and they're very kind-hearted. Similar to my father. My father had this very rough exterior. When you say rough exterior, what do you mean? And I have it too. Sometimes. I was going to say, because you're a beautiful (laughs) woman, but But
0: it's almost like a regal kind of, I can't explain it yet, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes, because
1: people have told me once they have gotten to know me and I am shocked he said, oh, we were scared of you. You look so mean. I said, I'm not mean.
0: I would say S- serious.
1: Serious and that I, I'm i working on this. I just don't walk around smiling a lot. And I don't understand why I'm not upset.
0: I just walk. Are you a thinker? Like, yes, so thinking. You think all yeah. the time. right? Thank
1: you. For no particular reason, I just don't walk around smiling. I'm not warm and fuzzy. I remember one of the first things my father said when I told him that I was going to become a fellow and a full-time teacher. He said, you don't even like kids. Mm. I said, I like kids? (laughs) I just, you know, I'm I'm not just warm and fuzzy with them. I am not that teacher that's... You have expectations. You have a vision for them. Yes, (laughs) but it's so funny. Those group of kids from my first year, and not only my first year, but especially my first year of teaching in bedside. They still keep in contact to this day, and students throughout the years, they have kept in contact. You know, to know me is to love me.
0: And I can surely attest to that as I get to know you.
1: But if you're looking at afar, you may be misguided on who I am until mm-hmm. you actually speak to me.
0: I see. And, and now the whole bunch of us will know. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Marnie, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: My mother is a retired educator. My parents are my heroes and first and foremost in my life. My father is deceased now. Mm -hmm. But the best advice, it would probably be for my parents. And I remember my mother saying that if you attach yourself to a strong woman, you'll never go wrong. And throughout my journey in education, there have been... Several strong women in leadership positions and even teaching positions that have helped me along the way and are responsible for my success, along with some men as well. Mm -hmm. Not all women, but that's one key piece of advice. My mother's very funny. She always tells me, keep your head down low and keep a low profile. Which I am never able to do, no matter well, how. In this hard. Position. <laughs> no, throughout the, my entire career, I've been trying to
0: keep a low profile. TG, and they, they keep. <laughs> Wait I mean, a minute, hold <laughs> up. So you selected rapping yeah. to keep a low profile. <laughs> and maybe a little rebellious, a yeah.
1: little. You do the right thing, uh, good things will happen. Uh, you treat people the way you want to be treated, and being faithful. And keeping the faith that uh, things will work out.
0: So great. Thank you so much for that. Now, what does it mean to have a good team mm-hmm. and how do you build or sustain one?
1: Oh, it's very important to have a good team, a team that you can trust, that shares the same vision as the leader, but also that is not a yes person mm-hmm. that will bring competing ideas to the table and offer alternatives, but also when the final decision is made as far as which direction we're going to go as a district or as a team, that they're on board and they're not there to undermine. So loyalty is important, but not blind loyalty. I don't want Yes, people, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Mm -hmm. You know, we all make mistakes. We all are human. I am an equal with everyone sitting around the table. And I love surrounding myself with people who know a little more than I do and have more experience because they bring a wealth of knowledge to the table. So I allow everyone to chime in with their opinions and thoughts, and then we come to a decision. And sometimes I've already made a decision, but I'll ask for their input.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, because you have to make a decision uh sometimes. All right. So, Moni, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life?
1: At one point, I was unemployed for 13 months. Mm. When I returned to Roosevelt as a teacher, I worked in the classroom for three years as a teacher. And the first year that summer, my position was excess. Roosevelt has had a pass with academics as well as their financial stability. And when I returned to Roosevelt that year, they were on the verge of bankruptcy in the middle of the school year.
0: Hmm.
1: So a lot of upheaval. And by the end of the school year, they had accessed a lot of teaching positions. And that was devastating. I had a very successful year. I had brought in project based learning and the cooking and I had not managed to maintain a low profile. So I was on the radar with so you people on radio and yeah TV. so I was I was on I didn't maintain a low profile so right. when that position was excess I remember just crying hysterically mm-hmm. and I thought to myself okay I need to position myself for plan B or C. And my co teacher recommended, well, go back to school and get your credentials in special ed because usually when they cut teaching positions, they don't touch special ed because there's a need. It's in the need and the credential. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I don't really want to do that. I think I'm going to try administration. So during that summer, my position was excessed. I enrolled in SITE at the College of St. Rose to work on my administrative certification. And so that's how that happened. Yes. And I was called back late August and returned to teaching. And I stayed in the classroom three years. And all the things I was doing in the classroom, I became a leader of the O Ambassadors, an after-school program where we raised money for East Africa to build a school. And also I started this campaign, Save Afar at that time to bring awareness to the genocide in Dafar. I was a second grade teacher at this point, and people were telling me genocide in Dafar is too heady for second graders. I said, no, it's not. It's going on now, and I think people can understand starvation and death at any age.
0: But you're also exposing these young kids to empathy, to awareness, to passion and action. Yes. So I started this huge
1: campaign where we were selling these Save DeFar
0: T-shirts
1: in the school, and the second grade class was in charge of the MLK assembly. Mm -hmm. And I said to my fellow teachers on the grade level, I said, let's do something different. My mother walked and marched with Dr. King. Mm -hmm. I said, we always see the same thing. I have a dream, and they talk about the civil rights. I said, let's take it from another angle. Let's do an assembly on if... Dr. Martin Luther King were still alive today, what would be his focus? And I would bet any amount of money that among everything that's going on in the world, the genocide that's taking place in Darfur, let's do an assembly on how we think Martin Luther King would address that genocide. And they were like, I said, it's going to be fabulous. <laughs> Fabulous! I don't know what it's
0: going to look like but it's going to be great. Yes,
1: so we did this study on what was going on in Dafar. We had all of the students and teachers buy these green T-shirts that said "Save Darfur." I put together this PowerPoint about genocide and what happens to the children. It was fabulous, and we had musical selections, Michael Jackson's "The Man in the Mirror," that brought everybody the tears as we showed images of starving children and it was deep was but deep. it brought the message home when Martin Luther King spoke about civil rights it was not just for the civil rights of African Americans or people in America it's a global issue of man's inhumanity to man and so that really put me on a trajectory of having central office know my name. The superintendent was in the audience. He was completely moved. We gave him a Save the t-shirt, which he literally stapled to his office wall the entryway and spoke about the program to anyone who would listen. So that was the start. And I finished my administrative certification and they asked me to become the director of grants. And I'm about to answer your question. It's going to startle you. Became the director of grants, and then I saw the dark side of central office. Mm. The dark side where kids are not the primary Mm. issue, the primary goal, the primary concern. Director of grants, I discovered a lot going on, and I compare it to certain people using that department as a personal ATM. Mm. And when I uncovered that, people were not happy, and they tried to force me out. And I was forced to resign from that position, but the community outcry because I wasn't silent. I said, this is the reason. So the district created a new position for me, and that was coordinator of elementary education. But what happened in grants still continued to follow me, and after two years of coordinator for elementary education, that position was excessed. And it's a long story, so I was unemployed for- That's
0: the for- political dark side. Yes. I mean, politics can be okay, uh-huh. because to me it's about relationships and connecting. Yes, But then there can be a dark side that yes. will test who you are as a yes. person, correct?
1: Yes, and that was the greatest challenge. Once my position was excess, I was unemployed for 13 months. And at that time, I was a doctoral candidate. I was working on my doctorate at Hofstra University, and I was a part of the Roosevelt cohort. But so many amazing things happened in those 13 months. It was literally carpe diem, me seizing the day. And during that 13 months, it started with writing a letter to President Obama, just expressing my outrage of all the things I had done to be a nation builder. That's what President Obama calls teachers and I said to have my job taken away I'm completely just shattered and the excuse that was used it was because of the financial crisis in 2010 and some of the educational funding had dried up I found out later that was Mm -hmm. uh, a ruse I could have kept my job but anyway So during those 13 months, I interviewed and applied for positions, but I didn't sit by idly. The president had responded to me. I got the opportunity to meet Michelle Obama. I went on Who Wants to be a Millionaire?
0: No grass grows (laughs) under your feet. Like those 13 months. No, yeah.
1: I was in Australia. (laughs) I was in Ireland. But I ended up on Who Wants to be a Millionaire because... I was unemployed, and I had a letter from the president, and Meredith Vieira was still the host then, and I made it to the second round with $42,000 in my bank, and going for the $100,000 question, and as she went over all of my accomplishments in education, they posted the letter from President Obama. So behind me is this letter, and I'm talking to Meredith before I answer the $100,000 question, get it wrong, go home with $25,000. So that was a high.
0: That's a moment in history, though, too. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And having the opportunity to meet Michelle Obama, I ended up at a, a luncheon with her and Gloria Steinem. And during her speech, Mrs. Obama talked about how women are often on the forefront of the negative impact when the economy takes a downturn. We're the first to be let go because people don't understand that a lot of women are the heads of their household. So what she was saying spoke to me. I'm like, yeah, I'm unemployed. And I'm sitting in the audience just feeling like she's speaking to me. She understands my pain. I'm having a problem getting hired in a field that's dominated by women, so many things. And after she spoke, I was preparing to leave, and I was sitting in my seat, and then I noticed a crowd at the front. And as I looked ahead, I noticed that she was going down a receiving line of shaking and taking pictures with people. I said, I need to go get in that receiving line. And I went to the end of the receiving line, and I was standing there thinking, okay, what are you going to say? You have literally seconds. Think of something profound to say. And I'm like, okay, okay what am I going to say that's going to capture? And it's everything is racing through my head. I said, you know, you got to tell her that you wrote the president, and he wrote you back. And and so as I'm standing there working myself up, I hear her aide say to her, Mrs. Obama, we have to go now. We really have to go. And she's maybe four or five people away from me. I said, no, no, no. And so Mrs. Obama continues shaking hands engaging in small talk with people as she makes her way down. And uh, the assistant says again, Mrs. Obama, we really have to go. We really have to go. And I said, oh, no, please, 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 please. And so I'm thinking, please don't go. Get to me. What are you going to say, Marnie? It has to be profound. It has to be impactful. So she gets to me, and she shakes my hand. I look at her, and I don't remember what I started to say, but I remember I started hyperventilating and hysterically crying.
0: <laughs> She'll never forget you.
1: <laughs> oh, it gets it gets worse. I think I said, you were talking about me because I lost my job. And then the tears and I couldn't breathe. She then hugs me and starts rubbing my back and whispering in my ear, stop crying. It's going to be okay. So now I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, now I'm hysterically crying. And the first lady is hugging me. This is attention I don't want. Please get off of me. That's what I'm thinking in my head. Right. And she's like, I'm not going to let go until you stop crying. <laughs> I'm
0: like, oh, just oh my go. God, this is so funny. I said, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm
1: like, okay, just aren't you late? You can walk away now and it'll be okay. <laughs> um, she said, no, you have to stop crying. I'm not leaving until you stop crying. Wow. I'm trying to get myself together. I said, Marnie, okay, pull your stuff together. Because now I feel other people rubbing me. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that there's a scene around me, which I really don't want. Mm -hmm. And so I pull myself together, and she said, it's going to be okay. And I had my camera with me. She said, do you want to take a picture? I said, no. (laughs) She was like, why? I said, because I look a mess. I'm pretty sure I look a mess. I've been sobbing. I, I don't know what I look like. I can just... You ever go into one of these ugly cries, as Oprah calls it, where anything goes, you look a mess, tears? And she said, no, no, we're going to take a picture. And I said, okay. And we took the picture, and she wished me well and left. And I'm a part of ASCD. I was an emerging leader, and I was uh, nominated as an outstanding young educator in Mm -hmm. 2009. So I posted that picture on my Facebook page and got a lot of comments and hits and someone from ASCD contacted me and said, you know, what's the story behind this picture? And I explained the same story. He said, would you like to write an article for ASCD? And I said, sure. <laughs> and it's online now, an article just detailing how I lost my job, how I wrote the president, and then how I wound up crying in the arms of the first lady.
0: Marty, so. you know, most people lose their job and sulk. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> you know, I had a list of all these things that really describe who you are. I wrote another three. Do you mind if I share that?
1: No, go ahead.
0: So I wrote down integrity mm-hmm. because to go through what you went through and stand, even lose your job, yes. but stand for what was right, um, yes. shows integrity. I also wrote down intense That ties in with how you occur to people and sometimes intensity, and I've experienced this and I tend to be that way as well, Mm -hmm. can make people afraid. Yes. Um, And also a wordsmith. Um, You're a good communicator. Yes. Being Mm self-expressed. You're able to express what's going on in a way that moves other people into action or compassion, (laughs) like Michelle Obama. Yes, I think that's,
1: why I wanted to go into the music industry. As a young child, I wrote a lot of poetry and then I started writing songs. So being able to tell a coherent story from beginning to end, and I take that back to the classroom, to my students. It's so important that you're able to communicate either verbally or through the written word. I really feel I communicate at my best through the written word Mm -hmm. you know we're all very self-critical I hate the way I sound I hate the cadence of my voice I hate the tenor of my voice and I know that I have a tendency to speak really fast so all of that I'm aware I try to make sure that if I'm conveying a message that it's
0: kind of succinct and people understand It's funny how we are as human beings, isn't it? And the (laughs) self-talk. Actually, it's amazing the things that you've gone through and how you keep moving forward, and it's wonderful. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I would say
1: that you have to find your passion and you have to recognize what you are good at. What I've been telling my administrators who have faced a lot of challenges and struggles this past year, you have to be the author of your own story. You cannot let other people tell your story. And I think that's why I've been able to last and sustain not working 13 months and literally being kicked in the butt for trying to help students could have turned a lot of people off. At that point, I said I would never return to Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. I would never Mm -hmm. want to work here. But I had to get over that with the help of other people. But being able to be the author of my own narrative has been key. Whether I tell my story through avenues such as this podcast Mm -hmm. or through the written word, that's who I am and I'm also determined to change the negative stereotype of Roosevelt. So I encourage all of my principals and administrators, we have a Twitter account. Whatever positive things you're doing in your classroom with students, get on that account and share it with as many people as possible. So if you're feeling under-appreciated or overwhelmed, find the good in what you're doing And then scream that good news at the top of your lungs. Another quote that I take to heart, people would rather whisper your successes and shout your failures. And we have to change that mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's what beats a lot of administrators down. And I try to be mindful not to do that to my colleagues. When something happens and we've had, you know, whether a deadline has been missed or we drop the ball with students our initial response as humans is to really go in how could you let this happen you know you're responsible and i try not to approach it so aggressively and to listen and not to really beat them over the head with their mistakes but to hold them accountable i would never berate anyone or try to humiliate them I try to show compassion and essentially treat others as I would like to be treated, but it's also a fine line, and I find being a woman in this position that I've had my compassion come back and bite me in the face mm. when I should have made a hard decision, and those are some of the challenges we face. I always tell people when I'm making decisions whether not to hire someone or let someone go, I, said, I understand more than anyone what it's like not to be employed. I was not employed for 13 months Mm -hmm. with a child and in college and and a mortgage to pay. But I also understand that we're here for children, not adults. And I cannot have the wrong people in the wrong seats on the bus Mm -hmm. just so they could be employed. Right. Right. I'm doing the children a disservice by doing that. Right.
0: And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how you refocus people to the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be discouraged about this one thing, but let's focus on the bigger picture. And I find that when we do that, then the discouragement shifts. I appreciate that. The other thing that you said was what you're doing, you said with the help of people. Mm -hmm. How important is it to have people speak into your life?
1: And when you say speak into your life... Or coach, mentor you. Oh, very important. You need a variety of opinions and you need people that may have more experience in an area than you have to help guide you Mm -hmm. to offer some support. And then also what I found, I do enjoy meeting and talking to other colleagues in other districts. Roosevelt, like I said, has a history and we look at other districts as if the grass is greener and we look at high performing, high wealth districts. Oh, they have it so great over there. But when you have the opportunity to speak to some of the administrators over there, We have the same problems, and my mother said it best one time. Children have problems all over the spectrum, regardless of economics or race. They just have different problems, but they have problems and needs and concerns, so I thought that was profound. I love different points of view. I love talking to people from high-wealth, low-wealth districts and taking a little piece of what they're doing. A lot of things that we're doing in this district, a lot of our initiatives, I've stolen. I've borrowed. (laughs) I've borrowed from people all across the country. And What I do is I usually either email them or I'll write a little note congratulating them on a promotion or I like what you're doing and I even borrow the little piece. I'm implementing that in my district. Dr. Michelle King, who is now the superintendent of LA Unified School District, Mm I borrowed her idea of a Superintendent Student Advisory Council. Mm -hmm. She meets with students once every two months and sits down and listens to their concerns, and I implemented that last year, and that's been wildly successful.
0: That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Wow. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now?
1: It's getting up every day and learning something new, whether it's through reading a newspaper, listening to a newscast, reading an educational journal or a book. On my reading list for the summer, as an administrative team, we're reading Eric Jensen's Poor Students' Rich Teaching. And this past school year, we completed a book study on Good to Great by Jim Collins. And then I'm also reading the five dysfunctions of a team. team. So just keeping abreast on the latest educational trends or thoughts regarding that. I'm really big now on disrupting the school-to-prison pipeline and restorative justice. So I'm having my team delve deeper into that. During our administrative retreat, we are bringing in a consultant to talk about restorative justice. Technology is also big. We want to move toward a one-to-one initiative. So I've been going to various conferences and visiting school districts to see how they implemented their one-to-one because speaking of LA Unified School District, I don't want to order $1 billion worth of iPads just to have them return because the program was not rolled out properly. So wherever I can... Listening, like you said, and I didn't even think about why I don't walk and smile because I'm thinking and I'm listening to what's going on around me. Mm-hmm. You'll be amazed if you sit and just listen to conversations and what's going on around you. Amazing things can happen. I remember going to an ASCD conference in San Francisco and we went out to dinner with different vendors. And a guy sitting across from me was talking to somebody else about investing in stock. And he said, Right now, Bank of America is the hottest stock to buy. And I remember going home and buying 14 shares of stock. And just yesterday, I looked at my stock for Bank of America and I go back to that conversation that I just (laughs) sat and listened to. Things like that. You have to seize the day.
0: (laughs) You never know. Sure did. (laughs) Yes. That's wonderful. (laughs) I wish I had listened to when they said something about Apple. (laughs) Yeah. So if there were something you can change in education in the U.S., Mm -hmm. what would that be?
1: Oh, mandates and scripted curriculum. I would let teachers teach. We need to have more faith in our teachers as the educational experts. Mm -hmm. I have seen so many bright-eyed teachers with great ideas come into the school system and 10 years later they are beaten down and they are angry and mean and
0: I'm like what happened to you? It happens and with administrators. Yeah oh yeah
1: it happens with administrators as well but you've turned into this person that should not be anywhere near mm-hmm. a child. What happened? But it's the system, you know, it's politics, it's state reporting, it's tests, it's a lot of things. And I think the evaluation of our educational system needs to change, that everything does not begin and end with a test score. And we need a more creative, evaluative tool. I am a big proponent of learning by doing. I say this often. You give me a copy of the New York Times every day, if I could create a school just based on New York Times as the resource, it would be amazing. They cover everything. The articles are so rich and timely, you can create any lesson plan in any topic or subject matter, but it takes time think outside the box and not be scared Mm -hmm. of what may or may not happen.
0: Do you know somebody may steal that idea? I mean, borrow that idea. <laughs> well, New York the Times, Kate they have cool.
1: a, I think it's called the Learning Network, a website where you can go on daily and they have turned that day's articles into lesson plans. They create lesson plans for you.
0: So it's done already. We just have to. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, Marnie, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
1: The younger Marnie about leadership. My mom and dad have always said that I am too honest. I would not change the honesty part of it. I would learn how to temper the honesty, and there's always a time and place. But you know what? Hindsight's 2020.
0: Right. Yeah, would you have listened? Yeah. It's like,
1: <laughs> I like pulling off the band aid. Now in this position, I'm more apt in choosing my words. And I'm trying not to be as blunt as I used to be. But sometimes it takes up too much time and energy. Let me just tell you what the real problem is and cut to the chase. Mm -hmm. And you may hate me for this minute, but in the long run, you'll thank me for being honest and open and not prolonging and dragging it out. Mm -hmm. My best advice, go with your gut and always do what's right. And sometimes, unfortunately you will be punished for doing what's right, and you have to be able to uh, weather that storm. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? Uh, we covered a lot. Roosevelt,
1: I'm very proud and honored to be at the helm. Uh, We're going through what we call a Roosevelt renaissance. We are changing the perception of Roosevelt internally and externally, and our goal is 100% graduation by 2020 for all students. We know that all students can learn, they just do not learn at the same pace and at the same time and in
0: the same way. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Marnie, I wanna thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners.
1: Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share my story and it has been a pleasure, thank you. It's been fun.
0: Yes. (laughs) Okay. Hello leaders. This fall, we're kicking off some amazing mastermind groups. So make sure to go to masterleadership.org and find out how you can register and be a part of this wonderful community. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.